The following is a special sports presentation of UltimateSportsTalk.com. A swing and a drive to deep right, away back, goal! UltimateSportsTalk.com now presents the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show, an in-depth look at the Cincinnati Reds and the Cleveland Indians. For the fifth consecutive year, we examine the teams and their progress throughout the baseball season. And now, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Hi again, everyone, and welcome to the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. I'm Dave Mitchell. Glad to have you along this evening as we kick back and talk about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds. Boy, what an outstanding baseball exhibition between these two clubs as they presented it to the Great American Ballpark fans down in Cincinnati over the weekend. And who better to talk about all that and the trade rumors and, of course, a story that we broke on UltimateSportsTalk.com last week about Walt Jockety. We'll do all that. But let's go down south and welcome in our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue. Mark, what an exhibition of excellent baseball between two outstanding ball clubs this weekend. You know, it's, it's a matter of who wanted to lose it the most. And I think the Reds did. And I, I think, Dave, just for our own sanity, uh, it's probably better off to talk about what can be rather than what is, because what is on either team is not much. And uh, it, it's not just, and I think people forget this, uh, from, from my perspective of the Reds, and I don't know what you think about the Indians organization, but... You could always say last year because of injuries was an aberration. This year because of injuries was an aberration. But it's not an aberration. There is nobody in the minor leagues to come in and fill in when one of our, our starters gets hurt. So what, and, and what's amazing is, and maybe this, you know, we can, we can move into the, the idea of change at the top here, but why is it that so many teams in Major League Baseball are hot on Reds players. People want Jay Bruce. Uh, people want Brandon Phillips. They want Johnny Cueto. They want Aroldis Chapman. Uh, they want Marlon Byrd. They want Pena, our catcher. Now, that's six players people are coveting from other teams. Why aren't they working for us? Why? Well, if we have that many good players that other teams want, why aren't they performing for the Cincinnati Reds? It, it, it just begs the question, is there a lack of leadership with this team at the managerial level or the general manager level that says, yeah, we don't care if we win or not with the Reds? And, and isn't it amazing, Mark, that at the beginning of the year, Sports Illustrated predicted the Indians to win the World Series. A lot of other major publications thought that the Indians were going to win the Central Division. But yet nobody, and I mean nobody, wants players on the Indians. And the Reds were expected to finish third and fourth in their division. And everybody wants Reds players, like you're saying. Well, actually, David, most of the experts, quote-unquote, including me, uh, had the Reds finishing fourth or fifth. And I think it's almost unanimous that that's where they were going to finish, and that's clearly where they're going to finish. But it's just the Indians, they're a bat away or a bat and a half away. They left 18 men on base yesterday. 
in that game. They should have won that game in the sixth inning by 15 runs. And they, they couldn't come up with that hit. And it wasn't because the Reds were, uh, you know, pitching well, because Cueto pitched terribly and, and may have really set back the Reds' ability to trade him. Because people are now questioning, well, he's that wild. And they said they were wondering why he wasn't throwing his fastball more, and, and maybe his arms hurt. But, you know, the, the Indians and the Reds are a long way from being competitive, but I frankly think the Indians are closer than the Reds are. Well, I'll tell you what. If the I would take the Reds lineup every day and twice on Sunday, opposed to the Indians lineup. Pitching, not a doubt in my mind I would take the Indians pitching over the Reds. But the lineup, the way it's constituted right now, and even with Cozart being out, I would take the Reds' everyday lineup over the Indians' everyday lineup every day in the week. That's just how I am. I mean, you're right. 18 men left on base yesterday by the Indians. Four of their five runs in that game yesterday came on bases loaded walks. Pico had to be pulling his hair out in the bullpen and so did or in the in the dugout. And so did Price for crying out loud, Mark. I mean, what in the world do you why don't you just challenge a hitter? You'd rather, especially the way the Indians have hit with runners in scoring position this year. Why are you you know Bannying around the edges, but I will say this: that the home plate umpire, and and I heard the Reds announcers on TV say the same thing that the Indians announcers were saying on TV: that that home plate umpire needed some more seasoning in AAA before he came up to umpire a major league game. He was pretty inconsistent on both sides, but nonetheless, when you're looking at four of your five runs coming in on bases loaded walks, you really got to question what's going on with the pitching staff of the Reds. Well, unfortunately, David, it's more than the pitching staff. <clears throat> the team doesn't hit in the clutch. It doesn't drive in runs. And it's it, we have to look forward. We can't look back. Uh, we can't say what if. <clears throat> this team has an opportunity. It, it's got to make a decision. It's got to make a decision within the next two weeks. Are we going to blow it up and start over and bring in you could bring in with, with the, the six or eight players that I mentioned that are available for trade. You could bring in 10 players, 12 players that could substantially change the tra- trajectory of this team and make it competitive in maybe even 16, but surely in 17, as opposed to keeping a lot of these players. And they're just not good enough. It doesn't mean they're bad people. They're just not good enough to compete with some of these teams now, particularly because they're in the toughest division in baseball, which is the National League Central. Now, Mark, you can do that if, and that brings us to the story that we broke on UltimateSportsTalk.com on Thursday, and that is the sources that I had come across down in Cincinnati had told me that Walt Jockety, there was going to be a major upheaval in the Reds' front office, and Walt Jockety was going to be the one that was going. Now, a lot of outlets down in Cincinnati were reporting it was Brian Price. We were the only ones that were reporting that it was Walt Jockety. What is going on down there? Your ear is to the the pavement. What is going on down there as far as what the Reds are going to do over these next few days? Well, it's you hear six of one and a half a dozen of the other. Uh, I don't think they're going to make a move with Price until they make a move with the general manager. It doesn't make sense. Because you want the general manager to come in and name his guy, whoever that's going to be. 
So if 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 one is going to go, I would have to say it's going to be uh, Walt Jockety. Uh, and I don't see him firing Price and bringing in a new manager if there's any question at all that Jockety is going to stay around. And if he goes, you know, then it's up to the new general manager to bring in the manager. So you, you, you could see a situation where they fire both of them and then they bring in uh, Jim Rickleman to finish out the season. He's got major league experiences as an interim manager. That might work until you, until you name a GM. But I, I cert- my fear is they're going to fire Walt Jockety and bring in Kevin Towers. And Kevin Towers has a terrible reputation. Uh, nobody wants to deal with him. Uh, very arrogant. I mean, that's what I've heard. I've never met the guy, so I don't know. But those are the things you hear off offline about him. I mean, I hope the Reds would make a decision to go young at the GM position and bring somebody in who can make the moves that will make this team better. You've mentioned it, and I've mentioned it. Our fear is that there are a bunch of trades to be made in the next two weeks, and Jockety makes them. So why would you believe he's had really not unlimited resources, but almost when you sign Johnny, uh, when you sign Cueto and you sign uh, Joey Votto and Bruce and Bailey to these long, long-term contracts, and they don't work out? Why would you have faith in that decision-making person, in the, the person who makes those decisions, uh, that they're going to make appropriate trades to to leverage the talent that is on this on this staff on this team? And when you know, Dave, when you're talking about Trading away a guy like Aroldis Chapman, who is probably one of the greatest arms in the history of baseball, and you can't keep him because you've signed these other ridiculous contracts, that, that's a tragedy. And the Reds fans should not be punished for what that, that deal meant to this team or the deals that Jockety made because they're going to lose some really good players. And now you talk about other deals in the pipeline. Today I heard that ba- that uh, Jay Bruce was going to be traded and that Todd Frazier was going to be traded. Well, now the Frazier rumor is one that uh, I have not heard. Matter of fact, I had heard that the Reds were in negotiations to extend his contract. But, you know, let's get back to Jockety. First of all, it's on, unless they've got somebody in mind, unless Castellini has got somebody in mind that he's going to bring in on a full-time basis right away, they're going to have to go with an interim GM. So right away the Reds are going to be behind the eight ball because if you go with an interim GM that is going to trade away these guys, you don't know what direction this interim GM is going, and then what are you going to do when you finally get a permanent GM later on after the season's over? Well, that's where I disagree with you. I don't think they can go with a, a interim GM. That's too important a position. You can go with an interim manager, particularly when you're 18 games out of first place. I mean, how bad can the guy be? But you can't go with an interim GM now. You can't. Either you stick with Jockety or you bring in somebody now, right now, who knows the organization, knows the players, and can make the trades. And if anything is in Jockety's favor, it's the calendar. That they simply may not have time, unless they've already been in discussions with somebody, to bring in a GM that you would trust in remolding this organization, and that's what we're talking about. This is a rebuild from the ground up. 
And in, unless there's somebody they have in mind that knows the organization, I don't know who you feel comfortable with bringing in to take over the reins at this point in time. Yeah, that's where I'm coming from. I don't know who in the world, unless they've got somebody in the back of their mind, unless Castellini has got a wish list and he's just going down, and it's got to be somebody like a, a player development, a minor league development coordinator, somebody from another organization that he is thinking of. Because, you know, you and I have talked about this, Mark. Where, where's the media at right now? Are they more inclined to think? Because everybody's agreed that the Reds have come out and told people that, there's going to be a front office shakeup here and very, very soon. Are most of the media down there saying it's going to be Price, or are they saying it's going to be Jockety? Nobody knows that part of it. The, the The big issue is, are they going to blow it up? Are they are they simply going to start trading people and don't stop until they have a, a replenished minor league system? And, boy, that is that is a dice roll. And if you do, you're not going to have – you're going to lose attendance next year, which is going to impact your ability to, to sign free agents. So many things happen. Now, the only thing that could tr to change that is there is the TV deal coming up. Now, I don't know how big that is. I don't think anybody does at this point. But that TV deal could mean the Reds can afford to, to say, keep Chapman because he, he's due for a huge increase. Uh, so there's a lot of things that – our local press just don't know about. And that's that's the problem, is that, that the Reds front office is notoriously tight-lipped. They won't talk about anything. And so it, it leads to speculation and rumor. Well, Mark, let me ask you this question. Were you impressed with either manager in this series over the weekend? You know, i, I got to tell you, Frank Kona at least is a, he, he manages aggressively. Like he, he makes a lot of pitching changes. He'll, he'll try to get the best matchups he can. And Price just sits there. <laughs> I don't know what I want him to do, but whatever I want him to do, he's not doing it. I mean, the team is just, it, it's a mess, Dave. And uh, again, you probably don't follow the Reds organization as closely as I do. It's just they have nobody else down there that you can get excited about. And t t tonight the Reds are playing the Cubs. And the Cubs bring up one potential superstar after the other. I mean, they're going to be around for a long time, and I think they're going to be the team to beat next year. Same with Houston. I mean, you're looking at two ball clubs, Mark, in Houston and the Cubs, that have been at the top of the draft over the last few years, and they have used it extremely well, something that the Indians and the Reds have not been able to do. Yeah, there, there's just nobody that the Reds – I mean, has anybody heard about Stevenson recently? Is wasn't no. he the, the the great savior for this pitching staff? He got, he got lit up in Double A, and they moved him up to Triple A anyway. He's pitching better, but he's certainly not the guy. I mean, you would expect a guy who's going to be your number one starter in Double A. You expect him to go in there and be you know fifteen and three with an ERA under two and a strikeout to walk ratio of three to one. That, 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 that's your number one starter in, the, in 2017 in AA this year. I mean, that's what you'd expect. He's not even close to that. I'm not saying he's not going to be a good pitcher, but there's certainly nothing, there's nothing to get excited about in the Reds AA and AAA. I don't know enough about single A and rookie ball to know what they got down there, but I'll tell you, there's nobody on the horizon 
that's going to happen 16 and 17, I can tell you that. Well, first of all, I was extremely unhappy with the way Francona managed that game yesterday. But the, the most perplexing move of the entire weekend, Mark, was when the Indians were up one to nothing in the fifth inning yesterday, and the pitcher spot was up for the Reds, and they pinch hit Todd Frazier in the fifth inning of that game. You you just totally shot your wad right there by bringing up Todd Frazier to lead off that inning. What was Price thinking on that maneuver? I have no idea. And then they go to extra innings where you need a pinch hitter, and, and he isn't there. You're absolutely right. I wondered the same thing. Like, what are you what are you doing? This sounds like Little League 101. Uh, and of course, what Frazier does the first time up to ninety, he hits a home run. So, <laughs> I mean, it's it, those kinds of things. I think it makes people just shake their head, and it, it's almost if these guys try to to be so clever that they are smarter than everybody else. Baseball is not a complicated game. And I think guys like Price and even Dusty Baker, to some extent, tried to make it far more complicated than it is. And well, I'll, go ahead. I'll tell you what's funny is watching American League managers manage in a National League park. For example, you know Francona. How many double double switches did he pull over the weekend? Every time he went out to take a pitcher out, it was almost like he had to do a double switch until he got to the point where the pitcher was batting in the cleanup spot, and it, it just but that, that's the way American League managers, it's like, Mark, they get this thing in their head that we're going to show you that we can manage even though we're in the American League. Well, if you win a World Series in Boston, I think everybody knows you can manage. I agree, except for he's, you know, Cody Allen is not the type of pitcher, Mark, that you can pitch him more than one inning. And he's done it twice this year now. Yesterday was the second time. And he's blown it both times. Both times. Now, Araldus Chapman, you know, I, I was surprised in, in, an, in an exciting way that Price let him pitch two innings. I, I was very, very surprised about it. And what did he do? He struck out five of the six batters in those two innings? Yeah, but he also walked a few guys and gave up a couple of hits and almost lost. He had the bases loaded in, in, in the last inning he pitched. But you're right. I mean, he's got the kind of stuff. That's why I go I go ballistic when I think about why the Reds did not make him a starter. Because when you when you can throw easy gas at 100 as a reliever, I mean, and I'm, I'm talking, Dave, the other day, I, I guess it was the All-Star game. He had it up to 103, I think on six pitches. And he was backing off and throwing his, throwing his off-speed pitch at like 98, you know, just, just kind of lobbing it over the plate. I mean, how could you not put that arm out on the mound every fourth day and get 200 innings a year of a guy? I don't understand. Mark, Tom Hamilton said yesterday, the Indians announcer said yesterday, that the reason the Reds don't put Araldus Chapman in the starting rotation is because Chapman would rather relieve. Gee, that would really bother me. <laughs> is that the truth? I'd never heard that before. Oh, well, he, he's made the comment that he, he likes coming out of the bullpen. I think it's a rush for him, ego-wise and all that stuff. If I'm paying him the kind of money I'm paying him, he'll do what I tell him to do. And, you know, that's, that, that is irrelevant. He's a pitcher on your staff. He starts or he relieves whatever I tell him to do if I'm the manager. <clears throat> so that, to me, is, is way down the, 
the list of important decisions I would I would have to go by regarding do I start or do I relieve the guy. So, you know, the the decision that was made, I, I don't know why people, when he, what is he, 26 years old? They're, they're saying that, that it's too late? Are you kidding? It's, he's 26 or 27, whatever he is. And you, you can make him a starter by next year easily, just stretch him out and let him go. And, and actually, I was glad to see what Price did, let him go two innings. And if he comes out and throws three innings next time, you know they got an idea. Yeah, that, that's absolutely true. Mark, I've made up my mind after watching the three-game series. The guy I'm targeting as far as the Indians are concerned is Mike Leak. I'll give you anybody you want not on the starting staff for Mike Leak right now because for him, I get a two-for-one. When he doesn't pitch for the Indians, I can put him at DH. He can rake, can he? He can. He's my right-handed DH. Yeah, the other thing, though, is you don't need Mike Leak. You know who you need? I do as a hitter. Yeah, you know who you need? <laughs> who? Who off the Reds roster would help that your, your Indians team the most? Brandon Phillips. How about Marlon Byrd? No. He's, he's, he's hitting, what, 310 since uh, the last two months? How about Jay Bruce? Yeah. How about Jay Bruce? Uh, I, I would take Jay Bruce. I could tell you where the Indians organization would say, though. They they wouldn't want him because he's another left-handed hitter. What happened with your right fielder? Oh, he's he is just absolutely abhorrent right now. Wasn't that the, and from what Brandon Moss? Yeah, no. Wasn't he supposed to be your big trade this year? Correct. You're absolutely right. And yeah, he's leading the team in home runs. He's second in RBIs, but he's also number one. You know who he reminds me of, Mark? He reminds me of a left-handed hitting Mark Reynolds. Well, he reminds me of the guy that used to be your left-hand power hitter whose name escapes me. Uh, hit all his grand slams a few years ago. Then, it was Oh, Travis Hafner. Tra- Travis Hafner. Yeah, Travis Hafner didn't strike out near as much as Moss did, though. But but did, was this anticipated by Moss? Because, you know, when we were talking about him during the offseason, it, it appeared that that was a good trade for you guys. And is this year just a blip, or is he, is he as bad as he looks? No, he's as, he's as bad as he looks. He really is. And what drives me crazy, Mark, is Santana. Now, you saw Santana probably over the three games. Tell me, does he have a swing that goes from Cincinnati to Cleveland? <laughs> you know, it, it's not his swing as much as I get this perception that this whole thing bores him, that there's no emotion. There's no he's Like he's going through the motions. Is that is that an accurate perception after three games on TV? Boy, that. You know, you bring that up, and I never even that never even dawned on me, Mark. But now that you bring that up, that is a great analogy of how Carlos Santana plays baseball. And the problem is, is that, and he's done this over the last three or four years. He doesn't hit in the first three months of the season, and then when the Indians are out, then the salary drive starts. And that's when he hits, and that's what he's starting to do right now. You know what drove me crazy about him yesterday? The Indians announcers, Underwood and Manning, whom I call Beavis and Butthead, even they, in that fifth inning, Mark, with the bases loaded and Cueto on the mound, they knew on a 3-2 pitch with two outs that the changeup was coming. They said, and, and Rick Manning said this. I'll give Manning credit. Don't give him credit much. 
but I'll give him credit on this. He said, you got to sit and sit back on that changeup. If he throws the fastball over the plate, that'll be the first time he's done it today. Okay, fine. He beats you. You could tip your cap to him and walk away. But that changeup has been the only thing that he's been able to get over the plate in the first five innings, Mark. And that's exactly what he threw to Santana, and Santana was a mile ahead of it. He never anticipated the change coming. Well, part of what we're talking about indirectly with a lot of these players, and I don't think it's mentioned enough, smart players will figure it out. I mean, I mean guys, I'm talking intellectually here, not smart oh, baseball players. I'm talking about smart people. Smart. You're men. right. And you know, you, you get guys who have all the skills in the world, and, and I'm not casting aspersions at at somebody stupid, but a lot of these guys are stupid. They, they just don't have the intellectual horsepower to grasp, number one, the opportunity they have, and to work at it. And, you know, if you look at, I'll bet you there's a correlation to IQ and long-term, I'm not talking about short-term, I'm talking about long-term baseball success. I'll bet you there's a correlation to IQ and, and how long a guy plays and how well he plays over an extended period of time. Some people are so good they can come up for a year or two and, you know, just overwhelm everybody. But it, it takes discipline. <clears throat> it takes sticking to it. Uh, and, and I don't think you can overstate the word discipline enough. I, I think that's part of it. That's also part of being smart. And some of these guys, you know, the NFL, they give players IQ tests. And they give them tests because they have to memorize plays. And you can't be a dummy and play in the NFL. And I wonder if baseball does that. I, I don't know that they do. Yeah, the NFL gives the wonderlick test. But, you know, my question is, Mark, well, it's not even a question. It's a statement. The greatest players of our time have been students of the game. Students. They, they have known. Ted Williams knew what a guy was going to throw him on a 3-2 pitch. Every pitcher. Stan Musial was the same way. Joe DiMaggio the same way. You look at these guys, they knew what these pitchers were going to throw. Now, granted, they faced them 18, 20 times a year because the the schedule, and because there wasn't as many teams in the league. But these guys knew the player to player to player. I agree with you. I don't think these players today know what is coming. I don't think they think about it. I don't think they put their head in the game. You know, when, you're, when, when these announcers and when you sit there and you watch a game and you say, okay, there's a runner at second, nobody out, you want to pull the ball, you want to get this guy to third, why are you hitting the ball to third base? You know, yesterday they made such a big deal about Carlos Carrasco coming up to the plate the second time. And Francona bringing him over to the dugout and saying, bun it to third. Like you actually had to vocalize that to the guy in the situation? That's what I'm talking about. And I think that's what you're talking about, too. The intellectual fortitude of a lot of players just isn't there. Well, it's not fortitude as it is ability. Some guys aren't very bright. And that's that's part of it. You know, I, I forget the exact number, but in 1941, Joe DiMaggio uh, had the 56-game hitting streak. Ted Williams hit, uh, what, 406. And in, in I think it was 1941, uh, Joe DiMaggio struck out 13 times for the year. That's the year. Al almost unbelievable. And yet, right. it, it points out to your, your point of, of saying... These guys don't think. 
because if you make, like Jay Bruce, Jay Bruce probably has as much physical ability as Joe DiMaggio. He's probably probably stronger than Joe DiMaggio, probably healthier, all those things. But he strikes out almost 200 times a year. That means 40%, roughly 40% of his at-bats, he doesn't even put the ball in play. Now, what numbers could he possibly put up except a 240 lifetime batting average? That's, that's what he's got. Now, doesn't it, why is it hard to add up in your brain, if I make more contact, I'll have a higher batting average, I'll get my share of home runs, I'll drive in more runs, but no, he will not make a change. And at least, I get frustrated with Joey Votto sometimes, but at least I know he's thinking about it. He's, do I agree with his thought process? Maybe not, but he's giving it the thought that it requires. Most of these players don't. In St. Santana play, I see a guy with a whole bunch of physical ability, and I just don't know what's upstairs. <laughs> you know. Well, you know, the, two weeks ago the Indians had uh, Carlos Santana bobblehead night, and I thought it was apropos because that's the way he looks at the plate every time I watch him, bobbling his head all over the place when he swings. It just made a lot of sense. Mark, the trade deadline is a week from this Friday, so literally about two weeks left to go in the trade deadline. The Reds are all over it, like you were talking about earlier. The Indians, pfft, forget it. They're not even involved in this. So let's go over some of these rumors. And I find a lot of things very interesting. First of all, the one thing that I, that I heard the Indians announcers say yesterday, and I thought it was really funny, but I wanted to get your opinion on it, that that start by Cueto yesterday, they said that the reason he had such a terrible start and a bad start the week before was because he's bothered by the pressure of the trade deadline and not knowing where he's going to end up. Mark, if that's the case and I'm a contending ball club, I don't want Cueto on my team then if he's that worried about pressure. Yeah, I don't think that's necessarily it. Um, I, I noticed Cueto yesterday, he was overthrowing the ball. He was coming off, and he hasn't done this all year. He was coming off on, on the third base side like he did a couple of years ago. And I think he was trying to overthrow the, the fastball, and that got him out of kilter. But you wonder, he is also a very emotional guy, and I wonder if it got to him that that was probably the last game he's pitching in Cincinnati in his career. And this is a guy who signed when he's 16 years old, and he's been with Reds organization for almost 10 years. And uh, I, I think some guys it affects more than others, but from a pitcher's perspective, his body of work over the last, uh, half dozen years, he's been one of the best, if not the best pitcher in baseball during that period of time. An ERA under three every year, uh, pitches a lot of innings, lots of strikeouts. And had he been with a better team, the guy would have won at least one Cy Young award. So I, I think any team would be lucky to get Johnny Cueto, notwithstanding yesterday. But that's that's going to happen. And, and uh, you know, it, if the Reds don't trade him. They still get a, a draft choice, a first-round draft choice from somebody, whoever whoever signs him. So I'm not sure that's awful. Well, here's an interesting story that came out today that John Paul Morosi of Fox Sports talked about. said that the Reds didn't want to trade Cueto before the All-Star game 
because they feared having to watch him pitch for another team in the All-Star game. Of course, Cueto didn't make the All-Star team, so they didn't have to worry about it, but that that's an interesting thing, Mark, that I don't think anybody even really talked about was the fact that maybe that is the reason the Reds didn't want to trade him prior to the All-Star break. You know, you would hope your team isn't that stupid uh, because every day that goes by, Cueto has less value because teams will, will say, well, we only have him. No, it's one less start we get him. And if he starts three more games for the Reds, which he could before the end of the year, uh, before the end of the trade deadline, that's three less starts that somebody will get. Well, that's worth a lot of money, those three starts. And I, I think a team w- would look at Cueto right now today and be less inclined to trade a, a, a really top prospect than they would have been 30 days ago. I think they would have been more inclined. And what could they have gotten for Cueto in the offseason this year? Of course, in the offseason this year, the Reds claimed they were going to contend. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty. But it was very clear, very, very clear as early as, as the end of April that this team wasn't going to go anywhere this year. And that's when I would have traded Cueto. That's what I would have made most of my trades. Well, I know a week ago you mentioned the fact that Houston is interested in Cueto. Well, the Astros apparently have offered the Reds a couple of their glut of their Major League Ready outfield prospects, Domingo Santana and Preston Tucker. Let me tell you, Mark, a couple of weeks ago, Houston was in Cleveland playing the Indians. I saw Tucker play three games. If they can get that kid, they've got a real good ball player for Cueto. Now, should they just trade it straight up? Oh, heck no. But that Tucker kid can play baseball. Well, that's what they could do with every one of the players I mentioned earlier. There's seven or eight players they could trade. I'm not sure they can get Tucker quality every time, but they can get some good, young talent that would feed this system for the next uh, ten years. The question is, do they have the, the front office staff to pick the right players and bring those guys in? Now, the worst thing that could happen is the Reds trade all these top names and they get nothing of value. Well, they still knock off a huge amount of payroll, uh, you know. <laughs> but but I, I think everybody's overlooking the most obvious trade chip, at least in terms of talent, and that's Joey Votto. And I, the Reds are going to have to eat some of the contract. I agree, but what could you get for Votto? Well, right now there's not a rumor out there with Votto included. In. I know there's not, and that's why I'm a little surprised there isn't. Uh, you know, he's having quietly a decent year for a number two hitter. For a number two hitter, he's having a great year. But you want him, he should be hitting third or fourth. I mean, I think he's sitting around 290 with 16 home runs, around 50 RBIs. He's got an on-base percentage of over 400. That's, that's somebody who can help a lot of teams. And he's not going to help the Reds because they don't have anybody behind or in front of him that makes teams pitch to him. He saw what he did the other night. You know, he strikes out, what, three times on a Friday night and hits a home run and he hits into a double play because he, he, he's reaching for balls that he shouldn't, and that's not Joey Votto. But he knows it's either him or nobody he's going to drive in these runs. See, I think the Reds' biggest trade chip is Jay Bruce. Jay Bruce is signed for the next two years, 2016 for a very reasonable $12.5 million and in 2017 
for another reasonable $13 million, but he's got a $1 million buyout in that contract for 2017. I think he's their most valuable trade chip because the team that gets him is going to have control of him for the next two years. You're going to get more out of Jay Bruce than I think you're going to get out of for Cueto. Well, you might, but I don't think he's the best trade chip the Reds have. I think the best trade chip is, is Chapman. Chapman gives somebody a pennant. It doesn't matter. This year. This year. This year only. No. Well, well yeah, Chapman is – I thought he had a year left. He, he's He's got one more year left. Yeah. So, yeah, you're going to get him for a year and a half. Yeah. But with Bruce, you got him for two and a half years. Yeah, but, but but Bruce isn't going to make a difference as much as Chapman will. Chapman going to the right team can win you a World Series. Jay Bruce won't. Jay Bruce is a two fifty hitter, hit you twenty five thirty home runs and drive in eighty or ninety runs. That's you know that's that's not a deal changer. Chapman is a deal changer. You put Chapman with uh, Anaheim. Put Chapman with the Giants. Put Chapman with the Yankees. How about the Yankees? Chapman would. Be, well, they've got they've got their closer. Well, yeah, they move the closer to the eighth inning. You know, <laughs> whoever you've got, move him to the eighth inning, and you got Chapman. He Chapman can win you a World Series, and Jay Bruce can't. See, I see the Yankees more interested in Cueto, and maybe even Brandon Phillips than Chapman. Well, maybe so. I don't disagree that they'd be interested. They need a second baseman. Uh, Jay Bruce in that ballpark, I think, would be he probably hit 50 home runs, maybe. But he is a guy that's very pitchable. You can you can pitch Jay Bruce, and you can get him out. There's not much you can do with Chapman. You you bring Chapman in, and you saw what he did in the All Star game. Imagine guys who have not faced him in the American League. Are you kidding me? He might strike out the world. I mean, he's the he's the guy who has reached. 500 strikeouts faster than anybody in baseball history. And so well, I'll tell you right now, if, if yes, and he did that, 500 strikeouts in 292 innings. But I'll tell you right now, it, the Orioles and the Angels are the two biggest suitors for Jay Bruce and Cueto. If the Reds make a deal with the Angels and don't get Cole Calhoun back for one of those two guys, I'd fire Jockety on the spot just for that. Well, it, there's a lot of reasons to fire Jockety on the spot. That, that, that's one of them. But uh, you know. and, and Mike Leake. Mike Leake is another one who's drawn some interest. Blue Jays, Orioles, Red Sox, Royals, Dodgers, Rangers, Cubs, Giants. Manny Parra and Marlon Byrd are both likely to go. Cueto's on the top of the... Blue Jays wish list, along with the Orioles and Angels and Yankees and Astros. Leak is rumored to be going to Houston. There, there's just there, there's a plethora of rumors out there as far as the Reds are concerned. And really, Phillips and Votto aren't even a part of it. All right, Dave, while we're chatting, I want to take a little detour here with a bit of trivia. Because I, I respect your intellectual abilities in all things baseball. Well, that's where you're making a mistake, but okay, go ahead. <laughs> what team has the record from 1973 to now? What team has hit the most walk-off home runs? Oh, wow. Regular season or? or no, everything. Pat, Regular season, 
playoffs and everything. The most walk-off home runs since 1973. All right, let's think this through logically. First of all, it's got to be a team that was not involved in the expansion era. So that eliminates the Seattle Mariners, Toronto Blue Jays, uh, teams like that. Um, Texas, no. They, they they played in a dungeon. The Indians, no. They played in a dungeon. Um, I'm going to say, wow, that that's a great oh, question. Okay, here's another question. I'll give you a kind of a hit, hint. The team that has hit the most walk-off home runs since 1973 has a player as an individual who has hit the most walk-off home runs as well. Wow. Um, is it Toronto? I'll give you two more guesses. Not Toronto. Nope. Um, boy, I'm going to go with Boston. Nope. Okay. Uh, then the last one I've got is probably, uh, it's between two teams, Dodgers and Reds. And just for the sake of it, I'm going to go ahead and say the Reds. Rongo, big okay. guy. All right, who is it? The Cleveland Indians. Really? And they've had 114 walk-off home runs, which is the most. And what player on the Indians, he played with many teams, but he was primarily with the Indians, has the most walk-off home runs during that period? He He's not on the team now, right? No. Um, I, I, would, I wouldn't have a clue. Yeah, you would. They'll go, went, oh, no, of course. Jim Tomei. Oh, okay. You're right. Yep, Jim Tomey. The, yeah, that that makes sense. The Dodgers are second with 108. By the way, the Indians had 114. Detroit, 104. Oakland, 99. And the Reds, 99. Wow. Now, boy, that, that's a that's a great question because I would have never guessed the Indians, considering they played in a mausoleum up until '94. Yeah, I mean that's pretty that's pretty impressive. And to turn that around, what team has allowed the most walk-off home runs? <laughs> Cleveland? No. <laughs> the Reds. New York Mets. New York Mets. And as a matter of fact, uh, Cleveland, the Reds only gave up 73. The, the Mets gave up uh, 101. And where's Cleveland? Uh, Cleveland gave up 87. The Reds are near the end, near near the, the low part of it. Um, anyway, I saw this on ESPN, and they, they were talking about walk-off home runs and, and how how exciting, it's probably the most exciting thing in baseball uh, is the walk-off home run, and how they how they peak, and how many are solo home runs, two-run home runs, three-run home runs. You know, there's been 158. Walk off grand slam home runs. That's a lot. <laughs> that is a lot. <laughs> anyway, I thought. Uh, uh, I mean, I would have been really impressed had you gotten that. Uh, I, I, that I don't think no, I was not. I was not even in the same vicinity as far as the Indians were concerned. 
And, and, you know, you go back and you talk about the Indians, Mark, and we've talked about the trade rumors as far as the Reds are concerned, and there are no trade rumors as far as the Indians are concerned. The only thing, and you're going to find this really interesting, the only trade rumor that I have been able to dig up, and it is a very minute trade rumor, is that the Indians are interested in Carlos Gomez of the Milwaukee Brewers. Now, here's the funniest comment I heard over the weekend from a radio announcer here in Cleveland talking about the Carlos Gomez deal. He said, would you give up a pitcher like Carlos Carrasco or Danny Salazar for a player in Carlos Gomez who is just a step above Michael Bourne? Uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of a rhetorical question, I think, actually. Um, by the way, I mean, the, the Cleveland pitching staff is really a good one. <laughs> it's really good pitching. And I, what must be frustrating to you and other Indian fans is that you're so close to being competitive, competitive. Why wouldn't they make a deal? See, you know, Mark, I don't think we're that close to being competitive. I really don't. Look at the standings. I'm looking at the standings, but when you look at this team, Mark, they do too many stupid things to contend. For example, yesterday in that game where Micah Villies didn't come home on a fly ball to the outfield by Jan Gomes. He stood 10 feet off the bag at third instead of going back to the bag and tagging up. That cost them a run right there. They've done that time after time after time. They make stupid elementary plays in the field, defensive mistakes, not defensive errors, so to speak, but just defensive mistakes that cause the pitchers to throw more pitches. They're, they're just, they are not competitive, and, and one guy or even a bat and a half is not going to make this team competitive. It's just not going to do it. You know, for example, Corey Kluber got nine runs on Saturday. That's the most runs he's had all year, and Mark, that was more runs than he got in the previous four starts. David, look at the standings. Oh, I understand. Here, here's where the standings are. They have got, how many teams do they got to go over? Five? They've got to go over four teams. Four teams to just get into the last wild card spot, and they're five and a half games behind that one. Yes, but they're only five and a half games behind. They, they, they play many of those teams several times, and they have a shot. At, at you know climbing up there and in Houston is what fifty one and forty three, Cleveland's forty four and forty seven. I mean that's that's not far off. They're only four down in the loss column. And we don't play Houston again. I know, but it doesn't matter. I mean, you play enough other teams, you can climb over the ones on top of you. And you know it, it's it just seems to me that they're close enough. Only four games out in the loss column, and they're waving the white flag. There is nothing this team has done all year long to even substantiate somebody saying that they can put together a sustained winning streak was or even a winning percentage over the next month. Dave, was it three years ago or two years ago they went on a 10-game winning streak and got into the playoffs? Two years ago they, got in a, and they went on a 10-game winning streak at the end of the year and barely made the playoffs, and that was great. But I'll tell you what will happen here, Mark. They're going to get hot. They've won two of their first three against the lowly Reds. They're going to get hot over the next two weeks. They're going to stay about four or five games out of that last wild card spot. 
and Antonetti and Shapiro are going to say come the trade deadline, well, we're playing better baseball now. We're back in it. We're, we're going to status quo. We're going to stay right where we're at. They're not going to go out and get a big bat. They're not going to do it. It just will not happen. And they'll stay status quo. They won't sell. They won't buy. They'll expect this is what they've done over the last three years. They'll just expect everybody to just hold on to your hats, hand, hats everybody. We're going to stay status quo, and we expect you to come out and watch this team play and win. And after the trade deadline, the team will fall off the deep end. Well, I have more faith than you do, and I think when a team has a chance, and Houston's cooled off. Uh, they've only won three of the last ten games. Uh, unless they go out and get a Cueto, uh, maybe, a, you know, Jay Bruce in Houston, too, would, would be a great move. Uh, you send down Houston gets Cueto and Bruce for somebody, that, that would be a great trade for the Reds because Houston has a lot of good young players. Oh, they do. So, you know, I, I think if Cleveland doesn't pull the trigger on a deal like that, somebody is going to. And, you know, the, do you ex- the team is really surprising to me this year is Tampa Bay. I mean, they're, they're, they're 500, but they're playing much better than anybody thought they would. And then Seattle, I think – has uh, there been a more disappointing team than Seattle <clears throat> this no, year? No, not at all. I, I agree with you. You know, the first thing about Tampa Bay is they got to get out of that stadium. That that thing is a pit. Uh, Seattle, on the other hand, you know, they've got a nice stadium. But, boy, their front office, they just cannot judge talent. And, and Lloyd McClendon, I'm sorry, he's not a manager. He's not a guy that people want to run through walls for. Well, all these teams are bunched up, and you know it, it, somebody in the pack is going to break out. And why not Cleveland? Is my point. I mean, they're only I mean, Dave. They're four games out of a wild card spot. I mean, four games. No, they're five and a half out. Well, they, they trail Houston. Houston's lost forty three games. And Cleveland's yeah, lost they, they're five and a half games behind Houston as of today. Yeah, they're five and a half, but they're only four games back in the loss column. Right. So that's four games. And and I'm telling you, they've got no shot. I, I'm ready to do a funeral on them. Well, this team is not. They're they're not ready. They're they're not a good defensive ball club. They can't hit. I, I would trade the Reds' everyday lineup and defensive lineup for the Indians. Right now, pitching, no way. As far as the field and the hitting, oh, absolutely, positively. Well, we shall agree to disagree. I think the Indians <laughs> are closer than you think. Uh, I think the Reds are probably a far worse organization right now than Cleveland, and it's going to get a lot worse in the next two weeks. <clears throat> Mark, how about All Star Week? I thought the city of Cincinnati did a great job putting on the All Star game last week. Well, I tell you, the Reds organization, they. <laughs> While you can complain about their on-the-field activities, off the field, that organization is, is, is really amazing. And what they did with that All-Star game, even I was excited about that home run derby and what the, the Reds did down there, and they, they made it a weak event. And, you know, the Reds don't make a lot of money out of the All-Star break. I, I'd be surprised if they made, they made money. <laughs> Maybe it's a break-even. It certainly promotes the team, promotes the city. But, uh, boy, it, it doesn't, uh, they don't make a lot of money, but you're right. The city looked beautiful on TV, and uh, I think the Reds and the city of Cincinnati have a lot to be proud of down there. 
Mark, do you know how much tickets are to that home run derby? No, I don't. I, I was interested because one of the radio guys up here in Cleveland made fun of the city of Cincinnati that they actually bought tickets to the home run derby. Well, that was a pretty – I mean, heretofore I would not have bought tickets for the home run derby. That was an exciting thing they did, putting a that was. time limit on it. And, uh, you know, of course, every in that regard, if you're the guy up last – you can only win by one because, you know, you hit one more than the other guy and, and that's it. But it was exciting, the timing and all that stuff. Mark, the four greatest living players, Koufax, Aaron, Mays, Bench. There were two of them that I didn't agree with. One I didn't agree with. One I could make an argument for somebody else. What did you feel about those four? Well, I, I think we agree on one of them. I don't see how you could say Johnny Bench was one of the four great living players of all time. I don't think he's in the top 20. Uh, he, he may be the greatest living catcher. Uh, I can agree with that. And maybe even one of the top three catchers of all time. But there's so many other players that had such a, a much greater impact on the game, had much better statistics, including Mr. Peter Rose, uh, who, who, by the way, is living. And uh, I, I thought Rose had a much better resume than, than Bench did. But what's interesting, Mark? Mm -hmm. He wasn't on the ballot. I know. I know. Baseball didn't allow him on the ballot. That's right. Which is is again a joke. Yeah, uh, it, it taints the whole. It taints the whole thing. I agree with you. I thought Rose should have been in place of Johnny Bench. But I'll tell you one thing too. Let me move on to Koufax. I love Sandy Koufax. Think he's a great pitcher. Can't go wrong with putting Sandy Koufax on this team as far as I'm concerned. But one could make a big argument for Bob Gibson. Uh, there's a lot of – I mean, the thing about Sandy Koufax, he was a shooting star. People forget, you know, he retired at 30 years old. When he was 25 years old, he was almost cut by the Brooklyn Dodgers. He had five years of unbelievable success. But to me, that doesn't make you the greatest pitcher I mean, the, the big unit to me was a far better pitcher than Sandy Koufax over a longer period of time. Uh, how about uh, how about Tom Seaver? Uh, yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of guys that you could bring up. Too. There's a lot of guys you could bring up that are alive that were pretty damn good ball players, and I would pick me over Koufax and pick over Bench. The Mays and Aaron, yeah, I, I think those guys. They, they earned their stripes. Did you dis disagree with either of those? No, no, I you I really couldn't. Uh, neither one of those. But and I really couldn't con I, I couldn't complain about Sandy Koufax either. Don't get me wrong. But you know you boy you could put a lot of players in there into the discussion along with Koufax. Bench. I'm the biggest Johnny Bench fan there ever was. You know that. Yeah. But there is no way that I thought Bench deserved to be on that team. Mark, two quick questions before we sign off for the night. First of all, got any thoughts about heading to South Africa and doing some swimming in the ocean? No. What what happened down there? <laughs> the uh the surfing competition. Oh. And Chad Manning when he was getting ready to hit a wave, a two dorsal great white shark came up behind him and bit his uh, rope off securing him to his surfboard and knocked him off the board and kind of gave him a nudge underwater. You know, isn't that a death wish? Or, or, or oh. Is that the IQ test we were talking about for baseball? 
there you go. Well, it also makes you wonder if there really is cl uh, global warming or climate change. Second question, what's going on with uh, the hunt for Dylan Michael? Oh, we are doing, uh, on the 6th of August, we are having a script read at Bellbrook High School down here. Uh, it's 600 people, and we think we're going to have a pretty big crowd down there. And, you know, we were doing those tryouts where we found some really good young talent, and we're going to give them a chance to read our script on stage in front of people. And we're excited about it. It should be a lot of fun. And we're also going to be going to upstate New York looking for some talent. So uh, things are going well. That sounds good. Okay, now the the Indians were off tonight. The Reds are playing the Cubs. What goes on with the Reds the rest of this week? They play the Cubs in a four-game series. The last I checked, the Reds were leading 3-1. to one. I don't know if that's still – that was a, a few minutes ago. Uh, and then they go into St. Louis and play the Cardinals, actually play the Cardinals at home, I think. So uh, the, the Reds – if the Reds can do 2-5 and five, uh, this week, I'll be happy. And the Indians, as I said, they're off tonight. They're going to make their first trip into Milwaukee, Mark, since 2007. But guess what? They didn't play the Brewers back in 2007 in Milwaukee. They played the Angels. That was part of the for opening game or opening season series against the Angels when they decided to put Cleveland at home for the first week of the year, and they got snowed out. So they moved those games to Milwaukee to play. <laughs> so they'll play the Brewers finally in Milwaukee on Tuesday and Wednesday afternoon. And then they come home and they face the White Sox in a four-game set, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You think they're still in it? I think they're out. We'll find out next week. One other quick question before we go. Do you think the Reds make a deal this week? No. I think they wait till the following week. Okay. We'll talk more about it next week. Thanks, Mark. Have a good one. That's going to do it for us tonight. Thanks for joining us on tonight's Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Don't forget, on Thursday night, the Ultimate Sports Talk Show, and that will start at 7 o'clock. Mark and I will be back again next Monday night. Our thanks to Greg Mitchell, our producer, but most of all, our thanks to you for listening. Until next Monday night at 9, I'm Dave Mitchell for Mark Donahue. Good night. The Wiz Kids have won it. Bobby Thompson has done it. And Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born. Marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball. Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball. The man and Bobby Pella, the scooter, the barber, and the nuke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque. Especially with...